0: Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo. We bring you hand-selected hosts, podcasts, and talk radio programming with listening options, 24-7 streaming or listen-on-demand. We also feature one-on-one segments with important guests, people who have something to say that you need to hear. And if you have something to say and would like to be featured on the network, please visit speakuptalkradio.com for all of the details or contact us at PR at speakuptalkradio.com. Well, today I have a special author to share with you who has written quite a special book. She is Cynthia Hamilton. Cynthia's 10 published works include fiction, mystery, and memoir. Her latest release is Houses of Deception, book six in the Madeline Dawkins mystery series. The book titled Finding Ruth was inspired by a photograph of her mother taken in 1949 while moving her into an Alzheimer's facility. And it was written as a means to discover who her mother was as a person in her own right, outside of her role as mom. It was sometimes a difficult journey into the past, but it gave Cynthia her new perspective and appreciation for all her mother had been through and how strong she had been to survive all of her heartache. And you can find more about the author Cynthia Hamilton on Amazon and Goodreads, or visit her website, CynthiaHamiltonBooks.com. But right now, we're in for a treat, and I'm happy to share her with you today. So welcome to the network, Cynthia. Thank you, Pat. It's nice to be with you. Very nice to be with you. I'm so interested in all of your books. They're all a little bit different, but let's just start um, by saying that you've written several books under the Madeline Dawkins Mystery series as I mentioned along with five additional books that are not in that series and you know Cynthia I love what you say on your website you say if there is any common denominator among my books I think it's the examination of how we fit into this world what it means to be human and how we react to the challenges of life and love and I just thought that was so beautiful
1: well, thank you. I totally forgot that I wrote that, but <laughs> thank you for quoting that. Yeah, I guess that's the thing about writers. We just spend all day, you know, tapping on the keys, and it's impossible to remember everything. But, yes, I think that is a good way to describe it. It just – I i am compelled to write. I don't know why, and I – for most of my life, I believed that I couldn't write if my life depended on it. It was – you know, I was such a ardent reader, and – Every book that I finished amazed me. You know, it's just like, how do they do that? So I I convinced myself that I could never do something like that. And then one day after being stricken with a mystery illness for two years and getting nowhere after seeing dozens of doctors, I just decided, okay, I'm going to prepare for a life in bed if it comes to that. And I thought, well, what could I do as a creative outlet? Um, you know, I, I like to paint. I like to make things. I like to, do, you know, mosaic furniture. I You know, I would, had been very kind of craftsy. Uh, so I was thinking, well, what could I do? Because I will need to entertain myself. And I thought, well, we have a laptop. I could write. I completely forgot I couldn't write because I was looking for a solution. <laughs> and so I I, I thought, well, Okay, now I need something to write about. And one day we were taking a walk, and an idea came to me. And I, it's like I remembered a, um, a there was this, this flashback to, um, part of a eulogy for a, a very good friend of ours, and his daughter was talking about how they counted hawks in the sky, uh, up in the San Valley above Santa Barbara. And I saw these hawks overhead, and then I this whole story just hit me immediately. I said it in New Orleans, and it was a man who died in a car crash in Mexico, just like our friend. But then I put the venue in, in New Orleans, and I just made up all kinds of crazy things. So that was book one, and I wrote it in, in secret because I just didn't want anybody – I didn't want to say I'm writing a book because – most of the time when people say that they find that they don't carry it through and there's a lot of pressure on them. And I didn't, I didn't want to go down that road. So I just thought I'll I'll just see if I can do this. So I wrote this like 135,000 word book while I was, you know, running a mortgage company and dealing with a really heavy duty illness. And I finished it in one year on my birthday and I started the second one the, the next day, the same day and I so I, I was completely hooked. <laughs> so from then on I just let my imagination run free and that's basically I was just doing it. It was like a, a place I could escape when the pain from my illness became intolerable. I could get out of my body and up into my head. And and you know, there were periods where I had to stop writing because physically I couldn't do it anymore, but the illness is now under control. Um, I have the upper hand, you know, and I'm writing professionally now. I actually even have a publisher. So it's been, let's see twenty years since I started writing mm-hmm. <laughs> as a lark, and uh, and now I have uh, like you said, ten titles up on Amazon. I got this accidental career from an awful illness. Mm-hmm. so, it's funny how life can, you know, like club you on the head with one hand and hand you a gift with the other.
0: Oh, I love that you're saying this and sharing this with us because I think it'll be very inspirational to others. That conversation about an undiagnosed illness, I'm in the patient safety world myself, and I hear that so often where people just go years and years without receiving a diagnosis and struggle through it. And I'm just happy. That you're sharing the fact that you were able to kind of come to face with that and think, what can I do? Um, and still be creative and, and that this is the beautiful outcome of it. I just am fascinated and love this story. And you mentioned now that you actually do have a publisher and that is for your Madeline Dawkins mystery series, correct? Yes, mm-hmm. that's right.
1: And as, as of last year, um, I, my Madeline series is uh, being published by Severn River Publishing and the owner of the company, um, uh, contacted me and, and made me this proposal and I was, you know, I had been self-publishing for, I guess, 10 years. There's a lot of challenges to self-publishing, mainly that nobody knows about you. <laughs> so you're out there, you know, hawking your wares with, you know, up against people with, with publishing companies who have all this PR in place. So, you know, I knew I was never going to like amount to anything, but I did have a readership, you know, so, and I, and I got really good reviews. So that was very gratifying. So, I mean, I was a little, I was a little player, but I was connecting with my reading audience and um, that was good. It, you know, I was going to write anyway, so Being able to publish them and then being able to look at the cover and, you know, feeling like I completed something that fed me. So it's been good. It's, it's all good. And now I'm experiencing having somebody behind me, somebody that, um, you know, a company that, um, They keep me on top of things. They have me write newsletters. They, you know, they have me (laughs) organized and, Mm -hmm. and they take care of all the marketing and the cover design and the formatting and all that stuff that I used to have to find people to do for me. So, you know, it's good. It's a good experience and I'm, I'm enjoying being with this group. They're, they're fabulous people and, you know, it just, and, I, and the authors that they represent are all really good. So, you know, at this stage, I'm enjoying that. And it's it's a novelty, but it's also something that's, uh, it it actually seeps in, in me in a different way. It makes me feel a little more bona fide. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that has any impact on my work, but I think on my self-esteem, it kind of does. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, mm-hmm. that's been good. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. You so deserve it. You know, you mentioned covers, and I want to hop over to your book titled Finding Ruth. And the picture on the cover of that book is a picture of your mom. And when I saw that picture and I saw the shadow of the person taking the picture, First, I thought, oh my gosh, what a beautiful, beautiful woman and a very haunting kind of a photo. And then I wondered, I wonder who was taking the photo. So all of that makes me just need to know a little bit more about this book, Finding Ruth, and about your mom. What inspired you to write it?
1: Well, thank you for your comments about the cover. I mean, i uh, it's that photo that inspired me to write the book. And what happened is... Um, let me see if I can remember what year this was. 2015. A major crisis happened with my mom, and I had been anticipating it and fretting over it and doing everything in my power to uh, head it off. And she had uh, she lived here in Santa Barbara, and she lived in her own little place uh, in in kind of a, a retirement um, development you know, people her own age. And uh, so she had neighbors. It was, you know, she was in a good place. It was really a nice little place. But, and she was fiercely independent. So there was only so much I could do to kind of keep on top of her. She, you know, I, what happened is five years prior to that, I started seeing a change in her and, well, not quite five, but a few years prior to that. And I realized One, she was nicer uh, to me, which was a blessing, and and two, her place wasn't clean, and three, when I opened her refrigerator and her cupboards, I saw all this, you know, processed foods and sugary things that she never ate before because she was a cancer survivor, and she cleaned up her act. She didn't want, you know, to do any of the traditional um, uh, cancer treatments after her breast cancer, so she just went like... She became um, very strict about what she ate. And so I saw this change in her, and then it got worse and worse. She was lovely to be around, um, but I could tell she wasn't taking care of herself like she always had. So anyway, the crisis finally hit, and I I felt it, and I, I got in front of it, but not quickly enough. And that was I... The day that I met a caregiver over the, at her place is the day I found her. she She appeared to be dead, but thank God she wasn't. and and she she pulled through, and she amazingly, because Ruth was like the strongest person I've ever known, she lived another five years. Um we had to put her in a, a skilled nursing facility um and my brother took that responsibility as as a as a loving gesture because he wanted to be near her he he knew he found a place first of all it was impossible to find a place not in our area not even within you know 3 miles of our or you know, 3 hours of our area so so Brad did that and my mom who who loved Brad more just because he was a male that was kind of her deal um he, that was a perfect way for her to to live out her life. and and here's the really fascinating thing about about Alzheimer's and my mom and everything is that once she her mind started to go, she she forgot these painful things that that informed her feelings about me and my sister and about men and about everything and so she became just this she she sort of reverted back to her younger self where she was just a very happy and had a bright outlook and just I don't know, it was it was fascinating to me it really was and so while I was cleaning out her place I pulled out you know she had she she was a child of the Depression, so she didn't get rid of anything. So I, I was, it took me weeks to get all her stuff, you know, go through it all. And I pulled this box of photos out from under the bed, and I saw this photo of my mom. And it was taken in 1949 when she was 19 years old, and it just blew my mind. I'd never seen it before. And I thought, oh my God, who is this woman? You know, why, why didn't she share this with us? But look how happy she is. She had all this promise. She, You could see this in the cover, you know, the, that photo. She is so confident. She is so happy. She knows she's loved. She knows she's very intelligent. Uh, she probably knew she was beautiful. She just felt good about herself. And she felt good about the man taking the photo, which I put together was her first husband. Uh, that, that was the, the man she married before my father. So, you know, that, that was really just like, it was mind blowing for me. I, I had to try and reconcile it. So what I did is I, I, God, there were at least a thousand photographs that I took from her apartment and I sifted through them and I made boards with all these photos trying to, you know, piece her life together from what I could recall, plus from, you know, the five years she was married to her first husband, then I found out she was actually a bigamist. That totally blew my mind when I was doing record searches. I was like, my mother, a bigamist? And then, you know, it's just, I mean, I found out a lot of surprising things about her, but it was also pretty painful to to know how hard her life was. She ended up married and divorced four times, um, it was, you know, it's like, how did this woman with so much promise, m- you know, make such a wrong turn? And it, unfortunately, that wrong turn was my father, but she, you know, I've got my brother and sister and my mom, and, you know, I'm grateful for that, but I know that that was really the thing that kind of torpedoed her life. And, and even though she was strong and she did everything in her power, you know, to have a good life and do the right thing. She was actually cursed with beauty, so she was a man magnet, and she couldn't discriminate. She just didn't know. She didn't have a BS detector, let's put it that way. So she believed what men told her, and so that's why there were so many almost stepfathers and, you know, two stepfathers and, you know, all these things. men, 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 all her life, and and she never really found happiness.
0: Oh, my. There's just a lot to (laughs) unpack there. You know, it makes me think about the question why is it that we as children and adult children, you know, we don't seem to have the wisdom to realize that someday we will want to know about who our parents were as people. We spend all of our lives, even, you know, if you're 50 and 60 and your parents are 80 and 90, you're still the child and and not many of us delve into finding out i was thinking the other day when i knew i was going to speak to you it was raining outside and my mother just loved the rain she loved to just sit and watch the rain and anytime it rained she was drawn to the rain and everyone in the family knew that but no one ever asked her why if she was here today and i had one question to ask i would ask her you know why do you like the rain why do we wait until we pull out that photo and have to um piece it together you know well i I don't know about
1: your situation with your mom, but my mom kept me off balance um, because i and I don't mean to sound harsh, but I could never please her. and i and i I look back on how hard I tried to please her and and why I would beat my head against the wall trying to to make her happy. It, and it's just something that is like programmed inside of us, you know. We we can't help but want to make our mothers happy. So I, you know, I my brother could have asked her questions like that about, you know, what was it like. But she would not open up to me that way, okay. even if I had occurred to me to talk about it, because it would turn into one of these drama things with her, because. She did love to recount all the bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of her cross to bear, um, which I think held her back a lot. But and I don't mean to sound critical of my mom because my mom was absolutely amazing in her strength. The, that she managed to raise all three of us on her own. Sometimes, you know, at one point she was working three jobs. It just, it's just. She's phenomenal. She's mm-hmm. phenomenal, but it's also sort of a tragedy in some ways that she just never got the happiness that really felt like her birthright. And I, I just, you know, it's a, she, she was very complex. But I have to tell you, after she moved up into Northern California in the hospital, she was just this beautiful, beautiful person again. Her mind was gone. But when she'd see me, she just lit up. She lit up. She probably, I don't know what it was. She she saw something in me. She didn't recognize me as her daughter. Uh, she One time, <laughs> we're sitting there. She's holding court. And she's just babbling these cute little stories on and on and on. And we're laughing. And then all of a sudden, she seemed to focus on me. And she said, aren't you beautiful? And I mean, I was... I was laughing. I was, I had tears in my eyes. It was like, oh my God. Mm. You know, if I, if I had heard that in my, in my life prior to this moment, it would have meant a lot to me. But it was just like this pure, Mm. pure, pure thought coming from her. And it it just did so much. I'm not going to say it healed me or healed the rift because there wasn't one. You know, I realized. I realized all my life that my mom was extremely important to me. It was just frustrating that <laughs> that there wasn't like I don't know maybe she didn't value me or or I don't know what it was. But it didn't matter, you know. When you, I think we are tied to our our parents, our mothers especially, and and that love is blind. Right.
0: Oh, I have tears in my eyes, my friend. <laughs> I really, really do. I'm thinking as you wrote this. It probably changed you. What did you learn when you got done writing this book? How are you changed?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I Well, it made me realize that we need to ask before it's too late. That was like the key thing I took away is you want to ask your loved ones things. You want to just really think about things that you might, I guess, anticipate things you might wonder once those loved ones are gone. So, you know, ask while you have the chance is kind of the message of this book. It gave me more love for my mom and it just really I it baffled me how she could be so incredibly strong. It's such a contradiction mm-hmm. that she could be so naive and so strong. I I don't know. I, I She had a weakness and that was flattery. And I think that was really the thing that just, undermined everything in her life is she was very susceptible to flattery mm-hmm. all the way into her you know late 80s you know she just lit up if uh, someone complimented her especially a man it she just lit up huh. so i think because she was a beautiful baby and a beautiful child and you know uh, just beautiful through her all, whole life and very intelligent right out of the gate She was so used to getting praise Mm -hmm. and I think that that she, she recognized that as being really important to her. And so maybe her ego, like that, that inner self, that thing just was constantly craving that um, recognition. Or, or fed off of it. Right. I don't know what to say because I'm, you know, I'm not a psychologist. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. but what I, you know, I just, I gained more respect for my mom, more love for my mom, more understanding of um, the trials. You know, when I had to, when I was going through these pictures of all these men, I was like, oh, Christ, I totally forgot about this guy or, <laughs> you know, in <laughs> anyway,
0: Oh my! Sorry gosh. for rambling like that. But. No, no, no. We're we're heading into we're heading into good territory. So I, I love the title of the book, "Finding Ruth." That is exactly what you did. The cover is captivating. I I just um I, I know that people are going to really really love this book. So, with the amount of time we have left. Let's just touch on some of your other writings because you you have some unconnected books. They're not all memoirs, so maybe just give us a real brief uh, rundown of some of the other books you have outside of the um, Madeline Dawkins series and your mom's sure. book. Yeah,
1: um, Lucky at Love was the third book I wrote, and it was inspired by this man I met at a wedding, and you know, it was like I, our employee. Uh, was getting married, and so uh, she had her whole family there. And her uncle Stewie, who we heard so much about, was there. And this guy just blew my mind. He was like six foot four, buckaroo hat, scraggly gray red hair and beard, and a great big smile. And the women were like bouncing off of him. He was just like this babe magnet, and like, holy cow. We ended up sitting with the bride's family, and we got to know all about Uncle Stewie, who proposed to my husband that he was next in line if he ever got tired of me. So I left this play, the wedding going, Holy cow, I have to understand this dude. So I wrote this story about um, a man that a journalist meets at a wedding, and, uh, she becomes so intrigued by this guy, she has to figure out his story. So she travels from San Francisco out to the Boonies in Oregon to visit his ranch. And so it, you know, it's a, a story about Jake Sorensen. I, you know, I, I change things a bit, obviously. But, um, so it's a very fun story told from Allison's point of view. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's supposed to be an anti-love story she wanted to find out how come he'd been married and divorced so many times, I think 12 or whatever, you know, but so, and, and I never even told our employee about the book until later, you know, about her uncle Stewie, but anyway, um, wasn't really about him, but
0: inspired by uncle Stewie.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, there's another book that's um, an, a memoir, and it's called Once Upon a Lime, and that is um, a book I forced myself to write. I did not want to write it, but this bossy voice in my brain insisted I had to write it just in case it would help somebody else, and um, it's, it's a story about how having a mystery illness turned me into a writer. It's a dual process. It was like going nine years without the correct diagnosis, and then finding out I had late-stage Lyme. Late-stage meaning if you catch it late, you can't do anything about it. If you catch it early, you take the antibiotics that are specific for it, you're good. So I went through hell. I will not uh, sugarcoat it. Um, And I, I saw every imaginable type of doctor. And I, after two years, I just gave up. But then, you know, over the years, Think episodes would happen that were so severe I'd be, you know, forced back into the medical arena. Also, I went the alternative route, which was completely insane, and uh, so it's it's um it chronicles that and uh, you know the whole Lyme thing from you know the beginning to now or you know when I wrote the book. Plus, it it it's about how this. Undiagnosed disease uh, turned me into writer, so it's that journey as well. So it's it's how I got sick and how long it took to find out what it was, and how I became a writer and what a gift it has been for me. Yeah. I wouldn't want to not have this gift, so I guess I'd I'd suffer through it all over
0: again. Thank you for writing that. That must have been difficult, but extremely important for others. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So you've been busy, and it sounds like there's no letting up. What's next on your agenda? What are you working on now?
1: Well, I'm working on book seven in uh, the Madeline series, and it's called um, Other People's Money. And it's pretty rangy. Um, I'm a pantser, meaning I don't um, know where I'm going when I start. You know, I just get this one harebrained idea, and then I'm off and running. Um, there I'm a pantser as opposed, opposed to a plotter. I sometimes wish I were a plotter because it'd be less stressful. Uh, now that I have a publisher, it actually has to make sense and it has to be done on time. <laughs> so, you know, all my other books, I've had, you know, as much time as I need to, like, get all the kinks work out. And and mysteries, they're technical in a sense that you, ha- you can't have any, you know, contradictions or you can't say something that is not believable. You really have to um walk a tight line uh so you don't lose that believability factor. And they have to be exciting, I mean they have to be interesting and compelling and you know, you got to have a bad guy or two. So, and I like that cuz I love mysteries and I mean I'm you know, I'm a reader first and I think that's, you know, That's why I'm so hard on myself, because the reader in me is very picky.
0: (laughs) Well, I understand that. It actually makes a lot of good sense, because then it forces you to be the best you can be at your craft.
1: Oh, I think the process of going over my, my work so thoroughly, like the last book I read through 13 times before I could fork it over to the publisher, I just scrutinize every single word so i it's hard to turn that off when i'm a reader mm-hmm. you know that's that's kind of a curse in a way <laughs> there are so many great authors out there you know that isn't always a problem but if a book isn't totally holding my attention for whatever reason i will go to something else
0: Sure. sure. well yeah you're not going to waste your time i mean your reading time is very valuable and you need to be right. happy with it Wow, so exciting to have this conversation with you. I want to make sure that we didn't miss anything that you wanted to bring up today. I'm thrilled um, to be on
1: your show. I appreciate you giving me this time and look forward to listening to more of your programs.
0: Oh, thank you. You're so kind. I want to make sure folks also know where they can go to learn more about you and to get copies of your book so you can share any and all of your contact information so we can get them to the right place. The website is um, com. This is a
1: makeover of my old website by my new publisher. Uh, The Madeline Dawkins series is there, and then other books. That's where you'll find Finding Ruth, and Once Upon a Lime, and Lucky at Love, Golden State, Alligators in the Trees, and whatever else I've written.
0: (laughs) Excellent. So the website is CynthiaHamiltonBooks.com. We've got the Madeline Dawkins mystery series, and we really concentrated on the important book about your mom, Finding Ruth. So I hope everyone heads over there and finds out more about you and gets copies of your books. Well, Cynthia Hamilton, thank you so, so much for sharing you and your mom and and some personal information with us today. I think it's really going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pat.